0: So it wasn't a specific item that we had. We just had like a vast of uh, different things. And I love to eat the concept because, first of all, we make it, you know, we're in the premises and everything's fresh. But I can uh, appreciate it because the food is just honest. Welcome to the profitable table fed by Woco Foods. The nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Wolco Foods CEO,
1: Stephen Tobaroff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I'm your host, Stephen Tobaroff. And today I'm really uh, happy, is the emotion I'm feeling, to have the opportunity to interview the guests that I'm interviewing because... He's the owner of a restaurant and cafe that I have such, such fond memories of and was such an important part of my life during my 20s and uh, 30s, and I'm really happy to have this interview. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest. It's Danny Romero, who's the owner of Bon Senior Cafe in New York City in the West Village. Danny, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: So, for people who live in New York City and live in Greenwich Village and the West Village, East Village, you know Bon Senior. It's been an institution forever. But for people that are in a listening audience that have not been there, can you sort of give us the background about Bon Senior and also about yourself, Danny, and how you got involved and became the owner of Bon Senior?
0: Of course, of course. So the, uh, Bonsignor Cafe was established. It's on Jane Street and 8th Avenue, actually. But it was established in 92 by a very good friend of mine. His name is Philippe Bonsignor. He's from the French culinary School. And, uh, he was also a young guy when, when he took over from an establishment called, uh, Priscilla's. Priscilla had a cheese shop on on the location. I believe they had some relationship, like some friendship. They knew each other. At that time, Priscilla wanted to move to Florida. So, Felipe took over the the location and he made it into Bonsignor, or he established Bonsignor. His last name is Bonsignor. So, from there, he had it for 10 years. In the 90s, and he established in 92, like I said, uh, in the 90s, you know, it was in the West Village on Jane Street. It was very residential. The business was, you know, different from what it is today.
1: That's for sure. I remember that well, Danny, because I moved back to New York from Chicago in 1993, mm-hmm. um, although my dad lived on Bleecker Street for many years, and, and our business, Woolco was on Gansevoort Street. But I remember um, living in, in the West Village right up the block from Jane Street then, and, and it was a very different, different time and a different vibe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We had the the meat packing, uh, which was actually the meat packing at that time, where you know Philippe would go and buy the meat from just a couple blocks from where we are. Uh, produce, we have Mountain Fruit Exchange still there. At that time, we had Woco with all, all our, our ingredients and stuff like that. So he had it for 10 years. And after 10 years, soon after 9-11 happened, actually, him and his wife and the kids they wanted to move back to France. At that time, I had been working for him when I was going to college. I was in my mid-20s. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to take it over. And I love the establishment, especially the neighborhood where it was located. And, you know, ever since I was young, I was working in cafes and stuff like that. So I knew a little bit of the business, actually more customer service rather than the business size. I took it over. And from there, since 2002, I've been the owner of Bonsignor Cafe. And I'm so happy to... Been working there and running the shop, uh, especially where it is. It's uh, a different uh, environment that we established, very neighborhood like, provides to the community and the relationship with the customer. I you know, couldn't be happier. They're, they're very supportive throughout the, all this time.
1: Of course. It really is such a special place, and there were so many aspects, and there are so many aspects. In my mind, that make Bon Senior really unique and special. One of many, and and it sort of would lead me to to some areas I wanted to get into with you, Danny. Which is, what was so cool about Bon Senior back in the '90s is you had like you would go in there and you could go into Bon Senior and get a nice coffee or pastry. Or Mm -hmm. you could get phenomenal sandwiches, or you could get really well-prepared meals that had chicken and salmon and everything. But what was really cool, and where you guys were ahead of your time, is it was really geared for takeout from the very beginning because there was not an indoor thing to it. You had that great bench out front, and you could sit in the park across the street. But from its beginning, it was like that. And I think now, with everything that's gone on, that's probably worked to your advantage tremendously, right?
0: Yeah, knock on wood. I would say Um the good thing of what we were established, like you said, as a takeout from the very beginning. Throughout all this time, we only had like three little tables in the front. You know, the the premises is very small. Although uh, since Philippa established it, we make everything from scratch that we make we make about 90% I would say of everything that we sell in the premises. We make our own dressings, our own mayonnaise, we roast our own turkey for sandwiches, everything. everything that, that we prepare there uh, and we sell, we do it from scratch. And that's I think that's what separates us a little bit from the rest. we have a unique taste. It's it, it just when you are ordering a ham and cheese sandwich it's, it has a unique taste
1: Piece. You're so right. Everything that you guys do, because I, I remember back then, like I was saying, everything that you offer is of such a high quality. And another thing that you guys do so exceptionally well and is unique is, like you said, the store itself has a very small footprint, but you have a very vast array of options. And each one is so amazing. Like a lot of times you you won't see that level of selection with a place that has that size footprint. And if you do, there's a certain number of segments on the menu that just are not at the same level of everything. Actually, this explains it to me because I, I, that's really incredible, the amount of product that you're baking from scratch. I mean, it really shows up at the end product.
0: Yeah, we make everything from all kinds of soup to coco bun to stews to chilies, to lasagna, fried chicken to like um healthy salads and stuff like that. You know, our menu changes on a daily basis and it how established it's like we kind of like had a relationship from the beginning with customers, like what they want and what they like. It's a funny way because people in the beginning, they used to call us like the neighborhood refrigerator where they used to come in and see what was available.
1: Totally. I can relate to that. Right? So it wasn't a
0: specific item that we had. We just had like a vast of uh, different things. And I love the, the concept because, first of all, we make it, you know, we make it in the premises and everything's fresh, but I can uh, appreciate it because the food is just honest and nothing complicated, nothing from, an, you know, we make a chili, what a chili should taste like to our prefer or best of our knowledge, or we make some empanadas, that are tradition. what empanadas should do, should taste like, and, and on and on and on. Just, for me, it just basically, it's it's just like the comfort of honest food, what Bonsignor really represents.
1: That's so well put and it's so true. I mean, I remember some of my favorite dishes were the salmon and the chicken and the food was amazing. And it's like you said, it was good, honest food. It didn't have to be over the top. It was just just excellent in the execution. A question I have, I was just thinking about it as I was listening to you is the following. When I lived there in the 90s, I would always go and pick up at Bonsignor, so I really got to experience what you described because there was always new offerings that were there and available. But my question, Danny, is to what extent now, what percentage of your business, if any, is through delivery? Is the majority of it still pickup? Do you use the third-party deliveries? What's changed, if anything, with respect to those dynamics? Uh, the
0: majority is takeouts uh, customers come in and, and they see what they want and you know the good thing is that we're fast I would say that you know for the quality of food that customers come in and buy we're pretty fast for what they but uh, the majority it's uh like 90% of our sales or more actually it's Take out one customer come in and we have to, you know, we have to attend them and they, they choose what they want. Online, we, we do uh, Postman, we do all those accounts, delivery service, but uh, they haven't picked up as much as, you know, as anybody would think, you know.
1: It's interesting because, you know, what's so cool about this as I'm listening to you, it's like you guys have been executing at this level since the 90s, right, as we talked about, and yet... The way you're running your business and the business itself and the way you have it designed, Danny, is probably more on trend and and more future forward than anything out there. Because I've been talking a lot in other podcast interviews, and I've written about this as well, that takeout is going to be a bigger and bigger dynamic in, in dining, particularly in cities. And that's been your core business from the beginning. It really, it, it circles back to something else, which I have a question on, which is... What percentage of your customers, because you've been a staple of the community, would you say are regulars versus people who may be in the village for one reason or another and they come in because somebody's recommended that they have to try it? You know what I'm saying? Like through word of mouth.
0: Exactly. That's that's another thing. I'm very old fashioned. I will say when it comes to like promoting the cafe, I really always have admired the water mouth you know like uh, you tell a friend that something you know you gotta try this place over there in a humble kind of way I've never been like such a business uh, driven person I more consider myself more of a relationship like to me bonsignor is more of a environment where for the community where we can get to know each other you know and I can provide something good for people to buy and eat now your question was our I mean, we're still in business. A lot A lot has to do with the uh, community. The people are very supportive during this time, and they make time to come and, and, and walk over to the cafe and choose what they want. Word keeps growing little by little, you know, we are established on a residential area. So we don't have that much. We never had like foot traffic from tours or anything like that. We have offices that have moved out. There was a lot of fashion offices uh, around here and we rely on the community and on regular customer that we established at the time and, and they come through.
1: Now, let me ask you, because I lived there from 93 till probably 98 or so, how has the neighborhood changed at all? Because I know New York has changed a lot. Do you find that you still have the same regulars you've had? You'd mentioned the office space. What changes have you seen in terms of just the area itself, or would you say that it's been relatively constant, notwithstanding what's gone on around it?
0: Yeah, it's a good question, Stephen. Uh, you know, what I, what's sad, What? how it was changing at one time I was well established. We had everything was booming. I think I would say back in 2007, six around there. Everything was pretty much established. So you got the, the regulars that were no bull senior that been living here for like a few years. They were, uh, but at one time, the real estate value went so high, it was so expensive to rent an apartment. Yeah. So what I noticed is that people actually move in and they have to move out after one year or two years. And so it takes time for you to establish the new customers. You know, someone that moved in, I will say, they find Bonzio and they like, they tell me, "Oh, first time here," and and I'm like, "Oh, you know, you're new in the neighborhood." And they're like, "No, I've been here for like six, seven months." So we begin to establish the new clientele. But soon as their lease expires, they they find themselves not renewing. So it's like a rotation. You know, they have to move out to different area, different place where it's affordable. And so that was a struggle throughout the years, getting customers established. The moment I felt like we established clientele, they will move out and stuff like that. So that's an, we, that's
1: an interesting observation. I didn't mean to interrupt you because it's true. The West Village used to be a place where I knew all of my neighbors on Horatio Street and everybody stayed there for years. Yeah,
0: there was this uh, vibe where it was very um, neighborly. Where you could get to know your neighbors, not even the same building, different building out, out around the block and stuff like that. And part of that was a lot of cafes that we had around. A lot of establishments like that where people felt that like they can go in there and just pick up any kind of conversation. It was very um, sweet in that way.
1: No question about it. Like when I think about, because like I told you, my dad lived on Bleecker Street. He moved to Bleecker Street like in 85. And there were a handful, like if, if anybody really wants to get the flavor of what the authentic West Village was from that time. There was bon Senior, which thank God is still such an impact in the neighborhood. I remember Lilac Chocolates. I remember Sevilla, the restaurant. And you're right. The West Village as a neighborhood was something really special and unique to New York City, unlike anywhere else I've lived in New York or elsewhere. So now with more and more people, they come in, they stay for less of a time. I guess that just creates a certain, you know, n- new set of challenges, right? Yeah,
0: it, it certainly does. I mean, we still have um, regular customers, but it, the sad thing is just we are uncertain how long they eat they're they going to be uh, in the neighborhood. We have lost a lot of great, really nice, sweet people, you know, and it's unfortunate that that real estate rents here are so expensive and, and people have to move and they're sad because they really love the
1: neighborhood. Still,
0: it has that charm.
1: It does. What I love about what you were saying is you're really clear on what it is that you enjoy and what your core value is, is owning Bond Senior, which is you want to be a part of the community because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that- The Museum of Illusions opened up relatively close to you, and you have all of those shops that didn't exist in Gansevoort Street that exist there now, and the neighborhood has gotten so dynamic, but you've made the decision that, you know what, it's not what I'm about to try to market to those different potential Streams of revenue. I'm going to stay focused on what this cafe is founded on, which is the community and and build from there, which I think is such an amazing message for people to hear, because there's very, very few restaurants that have the ability and just take a stand on that, you know? Like, do you ever find people coming in from, say, the museum or the fact that there is more tourist tractors? Like, when I lived in the West Village, it was not a tourist destination. And I believe that's changed quite a bit with all that's gone on in the meatpacking and the museum and stuff. Do you find tourists, even though you, you'd you said you're in a residential area, and I get that, but do you ever see that at all, or they just don't make it around that corner?
0: We have seen it, um, but it's not as current uh, that people in the neighborhood would expect for example uh when the whitney museum was about to open you know actually some neighbors tell me some people tell me oh my god danny you you has to double on your staff because the whitney is going to open and the Highland and all the stuff they you're going to get slammed you know it almost felt like they were telling me like the regulars were going to get pushed to the side because i had to attend all these new walkthroughs you know but it was nothing like that. It was, uh, I think, uh, when you get tourists and they decide to do a tourist thing. When it comes to when people will go to the Whitney Museum from other parts of the world, they will go to places like you know around around the meatpacking. Like they have all these uh, restaurants and and play, and places like expensive stuff, and from there they will walk straight to Bleecker Street to all those little shops. So we were like on the way, but they, they, they will certainly eat, uh, next to the museum or in the museum, you know, around there. We had the uh, dance market that opened also. So we, we never picked up on, on a volume of uh, tourists. You know, like I said, we don't stand out as, as a, as a place where, where people from visual, right? I'm talking from visual. You will have to note bon and, and it's almost like you have to know through like word of mouth you know we don't
1: yeah it's a, it's a gem like that now let me ask you a question one of your neighbors who i also interviewed on a on an earlier podcast in a place that i used to go to a lot is tavern on jane and during the summer there was that beautiful outdoor setup that you guys have there Do you feel that that's something, because I know that they're going to allow that in the coming months and going forward. Do you feel that that outdoor seating was something that was really beneficial? Because as you'd said before, prior to that, like I would get food from Bonsignor, it was always takeout. Sometimes I might sit on the bench or go to the park or you'd go home. Did you find that that was an added benefit for your customers to actually have a nice sort of area where they could sit that was sort of dedicated to your cafe?
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. It's, uh, It's so charming where people get to sit outside very european type you know and we heard this over and over yes the benefits i mean especially when you know first of all we didn't have too much seating, in the, inside no so our customers will sit outside on, on the benches outside and enjoy the outdoors you know you, you just watch people go walk by and stuff like that the outdoor dining that michael from tavern next door he put there. It's uh, it just added to to us. You know, we Michael and I we have a, a very close relationship throughout the years. You know, whatever he needs, or I need, we we help each other out. Uh, it's that type of neighborhood gesture, because we're open in the morning from eight to six pm. We have this agreement that customers can use it while we're open, and and his customers will use it. You know, so we both share the 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 seatings outside, and. Customers knew that it was something that we were both providing for Tavern Jane and I for people to sit outside, meaning that you don't have to sit down and, and eat at Tavern or have anything to drink. You know, you know what I mean? Like beer or any alcohol. You don't, you didn't need to consume that. You could just very well go to Bolsonaro Cafe and order a salad, a sandwich and just sit outside and enjoy the outdoors.
1: It was so charming and there's probably no better neighborhood to just sit outside and chill and people watch. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about your menu because it really is amazing and I know that you vary it. What are the main drivers that determine what new items you offer? Is it really that dialed in where you just get enough feedback from your customers that you'll create the dish? Or is it something that you'll see or someone on your staff? How do you determine these new items? Because you are always adding tons of new offerings, and it's a very fluid menu. What's the decision process that goes into what items you select and, and where you get the input from? we have a lot,
0: a lot of uh, diversity on on our menu on the back house. In in the front, we pretty much go seasonal, what's what's in season. Like we'll do like stews, chicken stews and and chilies and hot dishes more in the winter with, uh, you know, different type of soups and stuff like that. We always uh, provide like healthy salads and combinations and stuff like that. But throughout the year, if we have when we are taking care of customers, uh, they also feel free to give us feedback. Or you know, they, they either was a salad uh, uh, that they that they enjoy one day and they they haven't seen it, so they'll freely t- speak to us. Oh, remember that salad that I had the other day? When can you make it again? Stuff like that. So that's how we kind of make a decision when you know w- what to bring in and what to move out. Our display, I remind you, our display is small. It's not you know, it's not the food doesn't go around. In all these areas, just particular area where it's small, and we can only fit X minus nine. So, so we, you know, we make our decision based on on what season, what's in season, uh, and uh, what customers are, uh, you know, pretty much craving.
1: Now, one of the things that I talked to Mike about, and that I know from having uh, run Woolco in the in the meatpacking district before we moved to uh, Jersey City, is the importance of community. And I know Mike had spoken about that a lot. I know you've spoken. Can you talk to me a little bit about what that means for for just, and this is really something for people that are looking to start a business because a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, Danny, are people who aspire to open up their own restaurant or cafe. And so they're listening to you and they're saying, okay, here's a guy that's been open since 93. He's not doing marketing outreach, really dialed in, focused on the consumers that are living there, the community and all that. How does one go about building that relationship with the community? Is there anything that you do proactively or is it just simply a byproduct of you being the authentic, welcoming business you are and the community evolves around that?
0: I think uh, the face front has a lot to do with it. You know, like people uh, get to know your personality, you know, how you speak to them and stuff like that. And and I guess staff that you hire reflect on that a lot. How you treat your staff, they're going to treat your customers. And I remember because, you know, I, I was, when I was in college, I was working for, you know, people that I really admire, people that, you know, not so much. I always try to treat my staff with all the respect and stuff like that. So it reflects, it reflects on your business, how they're taking care of, of your customers.
1: You know, it's such an important point, And so many people that I've interviewed and spoken with say the same thing, which it's so true. If you're in a service business like I am as well, you have to treat your employees and the people that work with you, your staff, as good as, if not better than your customers. Because if you don't do that, then how can you expect your customers to be treated in the way that you want, right? Exactly. And then second of all, I find that if you're going to be a leader of an organization, you have to have credibility. And you and you can't preach that you want to be something to your customers and then not behave that way with the people with whom you're working. So I couldn't agree with you more. So let me ask you this question because it's something I've thought about and discussed earlier. You had said that your focus, if I heard you correctly, Danny, you had said your focus was really more about, or not, not more about, but like you were really into the customer-facing aspect of the business, right? Yes. So – your food is amazing, and everything about it is amazing. But in your opinion, what do you think is your single biggest advantage? Is it the relationship you have with the customers, or is it is it the food? Because I, you know, a lot of people will go to a restaurant and they can have the most amazing food in the world, but if they're not treated properly by the waiter or the host or whomever, they're not coming back. And conversely, if you give somebody a bad meal or a bad cocktail, but you handle it, so what? What do you? How would you rank that in terms of importance and emphasis in terms of what you do? In terms of training?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It has to be blended both in. I really, I'm someone that really appreciates uh, every sale or customer that comes in, and nothing makes me happy when they come back and they give me a good review about what they had, and it was, you know, so satisfying to them. For me, it's like I, I think I told you before, I, was, I, I wasn't business driven. I wasn't, you know, um, the, with the prices and stuff, it's a learning experience from the beginning. But when it came to um establishing customers and making sure that they actually pay for what they wanted, what's very important to me. You have different uh dynamics. You you want your customers to to come in and have a a pleasant experience. Even if they spend two dollars to you know, so to like forty dollars on, on a meal or something like that. Like every single walk-in should have a pleasant experience, you know. Uh, you don't want them to come in and not just the experience, but also the what they consume. You know, so when uh, I'm gonna. Do this really quick. So when I'm training somebody, um, you know, when I'm training somebody, uh, and we make a cappuccinos, lattes, and all the stuff, all those hot drinks. And I hire a lot of people don't that don't have experience making coffees and stuff like that, you know, but coffee can be very particular with uh, some, some of the customers, you know. So if you walk in, Steve, and you, you want to treat yourself for a, let's say a cappuccino, right? And you're going to pay $3 for a cappuccino right? It was a nice experience and everything like that. And when you consume it, you really enjoyed spending those $3 at the, at the establishment. Now comes the next day. The next day, you're not sure. You were like, oh, should I have a cappuccino? But if you come the next day and and, and you, you went inside and you spent those $3 on a cappuccino and it wasn't to your taste. It wasn't like the, the consistency that was, you know, the last experience, or the person taking care of you, you know, was kind of dry, wasn't friendly, like that. so your experience wasn't as good. Now, customers can be very forgiving, but if it's repeats and stuff like that, it just doesn't help your business. So true. I struggle a lot in, in consistency and, and, you know, in friendliness. You know, so what I'm trying to say is that let's say the cappuccino that you, you know, you spent three dollars and the first time was good, but if you come back again and the and the staff is very friendly stuff, so you may be a little forgiven because you had a good experience. And, but if you go back and the, and the people serve you just couldn't care how you, uh, the vibe and stuff like that. And then you spent $3 on top of that. The cappuccino wasn't good. So now you're like, oh, I'm not going to go back there because it's, uh, you know, first of all, my career wasn't good. Second of all, like, uh, you know, the cappuccino tastes good. So you have to keep in mind all the, all these aspects where every customer walks in, you're welcoming them. And you do your best to make sure, like, you know, you're And I would <laughs>
1: say this, and I would I would imagine this, like, the interaction that you're having with the customers and what's been going on for the past several months, that dynamic has never been more important because think about it, like there's no movies, there's no theater, you know, people are in a different type of dynamic. So that experience of going and picking up at Bon Senior is that much more precious you know what i'm saying correct yeah
0: yeah in that in that in that area it's, it's so important to appreciate every customer and you know everybody's gone through their own thing, you know we, you know everybody's gone through and we all gone through hard times and, and and work and business and family and stuff like that you know so it's very important for for people to be uh, honest and and if you're taking care of a customer you should be definitely attentive and the customer you know can appreciate the uh, the uh, experience.
1: You know, I I just um, I just want to say first off, Danny, thank you very much for this time. And I just want to let people know that Bon Senior is located at thirty five Jane Street in New York. And if you're ever in the West Village, you absolutely have to stop by. It is really a special special place. That you have, and I i I told you, Danny, I have so many fond memories, you know, and it's one, I really, I really miss living in the West Village because there's nowhere like it, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, just that whole thing. And so for people that want to know what it really is to live in New York and be in New York, when you're walking around the West Village and you're hanging out, go where the locals go. I mean, it's 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 an amazing place and this has been such a uh, such a joy for me to, to to reengage Danny so I really appreciate you taking the time man to speak with me.
0: Of course, yeah, thank you Stephen. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: Thank you Danny. Have a great great day. That was a really cool interview. It was amazing to listen to an owner such as Danny who is really just so hyper-focused in on the experience of the regulars and the community. You know, we're at a moment in time now where so much that's going on in our business is based upon utilizing every digital tool out there to market, to use data to try to understand consumer patterns and then engage with them in a manner that's going to maximize um, check sizes, and and to just have the whole focus be upon money and, and a mercantilistic aspect And here you have a cafe that's wildly successful, been in business since the early 90s, and all they're doing is just laser beam focused on the community, on quality, and on authenticity. And I think that's such a powerful lesson for anyone that's thinking about getting into the hospitality industry, because you can see how valuable and how powerful those concepts are. And it's amazing that this concept of just really focusing on pickup only, now the whole world is revolving Towards them, or a big chunk of it anyway. So very, very cool. I really appreciate Danny for doing it. And I appreciate all of you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe. Would love it if you would do that. Would really appreciate it if you would write a review as well. I always enjoy hearing from people. So tell me what you think about this interview. Email me at Steven at WoolcoFoods.com. Or you can DM me at Instagram. Really appreciate your comments and your thoughts. And uh, most importantly, everybody have an awesome, awesome day.
0: Thank you for listening to the Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toboroff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.